Hello, I'm John Dennis. It's Friday the 8th of January. Today, The Guardian reveals how UK troops were scrambled to the Iranian border when five British hostages were kidnapped in Baghdad in May 2007. In this podcast, we'll look in more detail at The Guardian's revelation over the Christmas holidays that the British hostages were, in fact, taken to Iran. We'll hear why the Foreign Office have been so reluctant to point the finger at Tehran. And we'll look at the Islamic Republic's aims as it expands its influence in the region. Guardian Daily with John Dennis on guardian.co.uk. Joining me are Maggie O'Kane, the editorial director of Guardian Films, which broke the story of Iran's involvement, and Julian Borgia, the Guardian's diplomatic editor. Julian, what can you tell us about Britain's immediate response to the abduction of these British hostages? Well, the Guardian understands that a British unit was mobilised in southern Iraq to rush to the Iraq-Iran border after the abductions of the five British hostages in Baghdad in May 2007 with the aim of stopping them being taken across to Iran because that unit had received intelligence they were being taken towards Iran, towards the border, and the idea was to to intercept them at the border. Uh, That attempt failed, whether they were too late or went to the wrong place, we don't know, Uh, but we do know that uh, a British unit was scrambled. Maggie O'Kane, you and uh, your Guardian Films team carried out this year-long investigation into the circumstances surrounding the kidnapping of these five men. How does the Guardian story today chime with um, what we revealed last week? Well, it's absolutely consistent. I mean, it's another sort of confirmation of what we believe after a year-long investigation to be absolutely true, that there was Iranian involvement in the kidnapping and that the Al-Quds force, which was a, is, is part of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard, actually took part in it, which was, which is a departure in terms of Iranian involvement in Iraq. I think one of the things that's been underplayed quite a lot over the last years and we haven't really looked at in a systematic way was to the extent to which Iran, perhaps not surprisingly being their next-door neighbour, is actually involved in Iraq uh, and has been over the last few years. But what we didn't understand is that they were... Uh, that it wasn't just proxies, it wasn't just Iraqis who had been trained in Iran, which we believe to be the case, and there is evidence of that as well, but it was actually members of the Al-Quds force that answers directly to the Iranian state that were taking part, certainly leading. They didn't didn't run the whole operation, but certainly led in the operation. Just recap for us what happened on May the 29th, 2007. Well, on May the 29th, 2007, five British nationals were working in the Ministry of Finance when a raid took place, a very sophisticated kidnapping operation which involved between 80 and 100 men um, travelling in almost 20 vehicles wearing fake uniforms from the Ministry of the Interior. They went in, they knew exactly where to go. They had, ins- they had inside information also from the Ministry of Finance. Um, they, abduct- they abducted the men and they took them first to what was a mosque on the outskirts of Sadr City where they stayed overnight. And then the following day, they were transported across the border into Iran um, at a place called Mehran. That is That was the core of the initial story. And then we went then to try and establish through Iranian contacts where they were taken, why they were taken by Al-Quds. We learned then that the, the whole operation was centred at a place called Qom, which is the spiritual heartland in a way of Iran. Um, and it was from there that... Um, 
the operation was directed. To be clear, we do not know and never established exactly what percentage of their time they spent exclusively in Iran. We believe that they were moved back across the border into Iraq, um, and this may have happened a number of times. And we've also received more intelligence recently. We've been contacted subsequent to the story to say that they were possibly moved around in garbage trucks uh, when they were taken back and that they spent in the last six to 12 months more of their time back in Iraq as the presence of the British and the American forces were decreased and certainly pulled back to base. And Julian, this is part of a wider picture of Iran fighting, well, it's a proxy war, uh, putting it too strongly, in Iraq. No, British officers at the time, back in 2007, were complaining that they were fighting a proxy war uh, in Basra. Uh, uh, They said at the time that they overheard Farsi communications uh, among mortar teams that were targeting them. Uh, They believed that, as Maggie said, that these weren't just proxies, but they, they had personnel from Iran involved would come across the border uh, and was supporting them and and sometimes running the show. That was the firm belief of the British and the Americans at the time in 2007. Now, we have a video that was released by the kidnappers of the hostages. This is Alan McMenemy. The British government, to please hurry. I'm appealing you to please hurry. Try and get this resolved as soon as possible. Maggie, Guardian Films also spoke to some of the hostages' relatives. It's a very moving testimony from Alan McMenemy's father. I never get a chance to tell him. All the things I'd love to say. But it's not going to help. I'm sorry. Dennis uh, talks about his son and... Um it is incredibly moving. It's been a very difficult time for the relatives. They have been encouraged in a way to keep a low profile and that was one of the reasons why we became interested in investigating this in the first place because so many previous hostages have been such such high profile such as Alan Johnston or Terry Waite going back over the years and one of the wonder one of the things that interested us was why did we not know who these five men were? Now the Foreign Office are very insistent that it was at the request of the kidnappers that this these was maintained at a low profile but it was the kidnappers who've released four videos two of them publicly to Arabic TV you know trying to get a reaction to try and prompt more response from the British so there's a bit of confusion there in a sense why who benefited from the low profile and you know that's that's what we're also looking at and one of the difficulties for us has been the foreign office's reluctance and certain scepticism that they have certainly expressed publicly about the evidence and they say there's no evidence what we feel is they don't have the evidence and therefore aren't prepared to discuss it because of the sort of diplomatic difficulties obviously involved. Peter Moore's mother told The Guardian about the moment she learned of her son's capture. Well I was sitting in a, um, a pub having a meal with a friend and I just got um, a telephone call out of the blue to say that Peter had been kidnapped in Iraq. Totally surreal. I'm just an ordinary woman just living every day. <laughs> that just doesn't happen. Um, Julian, Peter Moore's the only one of the five who's survived the kidnapping that we know of. Was there a diplomatic failure by the Foreign Office? That's impossible to to say in in a situation where you have 
you know, hostage takers, hostages, and you're trying to negotiate with them. And this is what's difficulty I can imagine Guardian Films facing is, you know, if, if the Foreign Office says, if you put something out that could, implying you could, you know, that could result in the, the deaths of uh, these hostages, you know, we just don't know. And the film only went out when, when Peter Moore was released because, you know, there's a great unknowns in dealing with, with hostage takers. What, you know, if you make, you know, a particular move, will that bring forward their release or could it trigger their execution? Uh, there's extremely high stakes. And so, you know, the natural response of the Foreign Office is is one of uh, caution. But I think in this case, there is there is a, another issue. They have denied that there's any, uh, any evidence. That's obviously not true. Uh, General Petraeus, the head of U.S. High Com- uh, Central Command, said that it was certain, U.S. assessment, that it was certain that they had spent some of their time in captivity in Iran. I mean, I, I think the, the, the issue that the Foreign Office faces is that for them to acknowledge that Iran played a leading role and that these hostages were taken into Iran would be so devastating because you know that would mean that Iran played a role in the execution of four British citizens that would require the possibly you know the severing of diplomatic relations a whole lot of steps that would really take Britain out of the game so to speak on all these other issues like the nu- the nuclear issue being front and center and so there is perhaps understandably, a reluctance of on part of the Foreign Office to really uh, address this subject. But it does, I mean, it's such an uh, extraordinary... Uh, yeah. One thing I think is quite important in this, and, you know, we always ask ourselves if there are things that could be done, and it's, it's very easy in hindsight to look back and, and to sort of say, could the Foreign Office have done more? But I think we should be take one lesson from this, in, in that for the Foreign Office to acknowledge that Iran were involved, then probably the only thing they could have done would have gone to the Iranian political leadership and asked for... I mean, and these aren't my words. These are words of a very high-ranking Iraqi minister who said they needed to go and, in a sense, tip their caps to the Iranians and say, we wonder if you can help us. We understand that you're important players in the area. It required to do... In his words, it was requiring the British Foreign Office to behave in a way towards Iran that is not, in a way, consistent with the relationship. And what Iran is looking for, really, from the West, is a different relationship. It's a sort of recognition that they are players, that they are there, that they are involved. And one of, I think, the tragedies of of Iraq is that we've been reluctant to face up to that. That's been pushed to the side because it's a really uncomfortable truth to think that we were involved in a war that essentially has left Iraq free to, you know, a massive Shia Iranian influence. So it's very, very difficult. It's new waters, really. Julian Bourger, diplomatic editor. I mean, what do you make of that assessment? I, I think that's right. I, I think fundamentally the dynamic here is driven by Iran's desire to be recognized as a regional superpower uh, and that feeds into their aspirations on the nuclear program as well they want to be consulted about iraq they want to be consulted about afghanistan they want to be consulted about the region as a whole and treated as a a power broker and particularly when it comes to uh, a nuclear iran's nuclear aspirations europe and the u.s do not want you know, to to contemplate that, you know, Iran emerging as, as a nuclear power. Now, I think there's a belated recognition that Iran needs to be brought in, both in a, you know, discussions about Iraq and Afghanistan, and certainly since the Obama administration, I think there's been more of a move to try and get them in, but I think it may be 
too late. You have a, you have a, a regime in Tehran that is really not all that interested in cooperative action because friction with the West, conflict with the West, strengthens that regime against its internal opponents. Because one of the things that the Guardian Films investigation highlighted, Maggie, was the extent of Iranian influence in the Iraqi politics. I mean, this kidnap took place inside a government building. Not only took part inside a government building where they had inside knowledge and were given access it took part it it was carried out in government uniforms from the ministry of the interior and the cover-up over the fact that the men were taken to iran was also facilitated by the ministry of defense and intelligence operatives there i mean it was very clear instructions to quote the line um you have seen nothing say nothing about this pretend you have not seen it so you had you know up to four government ministries involved but you know, as we say, Iran, many of the people who are now running Iraq are, were, were people who were in exile during Saddam's time, who, whose whole political education was, was in Iran, where they went to for, for refuge and support and were given that. And then subsequently, the political parties that were founded, like the Skiri Party, have become major players in Iraq. So, again, we, we shouldn't be surprised. You know, we're talking about a majority Shia country. We're talking about Iran as a Shia country. There's a sort of natural relationship there that we almost want to close our eyes to but you know in the future we have to open our eyes to it and I think in a strange caveated way the story of the British hostages has brought us to look at that and I think the tragedy of it is that during 2006 when Iran was involved in in the sectarian war when their proxy groups were taking part in some of the most brutal sectarian killing we, we didn't really examine it then and I think it's about British citizens and Iraqi citizens. How will the recent unrest that we've seen, especially since the Iran uh, election last year, how how will that how might that play out in Iraq, Julian? In all sorts of ways, um, but ways in which are very difficult to pr- predict. The, the the dissent, the unrest in Iran has tended to make the the government of Mahmoud Ahmadinejad and the supreme leader uh, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei withdraw into themselves, entrench, uh, suppress uh, opposition, and become much uh, more cautious about cooperating with the West. A a deal was almost done on uh, uranium export that could have been a real diplomatic breakthrough. But the Iranians first agreed, then then pulled back from it, because most people think because of this uncertainty in, in Tehran. And that is almost bound to feed into relations and involvement in Iraq as well. It's a it's a more cautious, more conservative regime, less likely to find common cause with uh, the Western powers in Iraq and in Afghanistan. And uh, that very much uh, chimes, Maggie, with the, the Iran's uh, response to the Guardian's investigation last at the end of last month. It just dismissed it as another piece of Western propaganda. Yeah, well, we weren't really... Ex- expecting to get anything else I think at the time I think what surprised me more than anything was that the foreign office would be so um, dismissive given the fact that I believe they are very well informed and they have told us that they're very well informed and they keep in close contact with the Americans and American intelligence sources and when you have an American general telling us that he's certain um, then I find that mismatch and that comment certainly more surprising than I find the Iranians. How long can the British foreign office hold that line Julian? Oh, I think they'll be quite satisfied to allow this to die down, keep the line, because I think the admission that Iran did play such a role would require actions that the Foreign Office British government 
are not prepared to take for other reasons and the, the nuclear issue being front and centre. Julian, Maggie, many thanks for joining us. And uh, don't forget that you can watch Guardian Films' report revealed evidence of Iran's involvement in the kidnapping of the five Britons in Baghdad at guardian.co.uk slash Iraq. Phil Maynard was the producer of today's edition of Guardian Daily. My name's John Dennis, and thanks for listening.